Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. today, wasn't it? That'll do, right? That'll do. Thank you guys so much. And welcome everyone to the Vineyard. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. and it's, it's good to be with you all. Good to have those of you who are tuning in via Facebook and out in the parking lot as well. Thanks for, for joining us. And we especially want to welcome you if this is your first time here. And So if you're, you're visiting us today, thank you so much for coming. And uh, on your way out, you're going to see some welcome packets back by the back doors as you leave. And so we just want to encourage you to take a welcome packet. You can learn a little bit more about our church. And and again, we're just really grateful that you're here. All right. Well, if you have a personal need of any kind, please shoot me an email. My email address is christian at gcvineyard.org. You can also... Uh, phone the church office. And if you have any prayer requests or any praises that you would like us to, to send out as well, you can, you can email the church at info at gcvineyard.org or call the church office as well. We're not going to be passing around the offering baskets again this morning, but uh, we do want to, to thank those of you who, who did come with the tither and offering. You can drop those off in the baskets in the back on your way out. You can also continue to give online. If you go to gcvineyard.org and click on the giving tab, you can, you can give online as well. And of course, you can mail in your physical tithe or offering too. And so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your continued faithfulness. All right, church, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for another beautiful morning. <laughs> thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're with us. We love you, Jesus. You're faithful, you're kind, you're good, you're trustworthy. And we do lift up to you this morning, Father, the people of Beirut right now. We, we pray that you would be with those who lost family members, those who lost businesses, those who lost homes. We just pray peace. Pray peace for the, the city right now as, as we understand that there's some unrest right now and so we ask God that there would be no more violence or we pray for peaceful protest in Jesus' name. We ask that you would be with the churches that are in the city of Beirut, Father, that you'd be with the nonprofit organizations, you would be with the, the government agencies that are trying to help with the cleanup, trying to, to provide aid. Father, would you have mercy on the people of Beirut? Have mercy, Father. Thank you that you're here, Jesus. We love you. Come and have your way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, team. Morning, church. <laughs> well, uh, I want to share something uh, kind of personal this morning with you to start with. And uh, some of you know that uh, the man who was Karen's childhood pastor and became the man who led me to Jesus, prayed with me to receive Christ, and 10 years later prayed with my dad to receive Christ, and his name is Charlie Hilliard, and he was here, he was, uh, he was here when we dedicated the church, and uh, he's just been such a pivotal, pivotal figure in my life, 
and uh, he mentored me as a young pastor. He's really largely responsible for me being in the ministry at all. And uh, he passed away yesterday morning. And um, so uh, Karen and I will be going up to Michigan uh, sometime this week. Uh, Charlie asked me 20 years ago. Well, he didn't ask. He never asked me anything. He told me I was going to do his funeral when he died. And, <laughs> and so I'll be officiating funeral for my own pastor, which is a great honor and, and a big challenge, as you can imagine. So if you would just keep us uh, in your prayers this week. Um, I really, 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 really appreciate that. I had a wonderful confirmation of something out on the wall this morning as I was praying that I think I want to tell you about. It's, it's, it's even more personal than what I just told you. But, um, you know, for those of you who may not know the wall, we call it, it's our, it's our nickname for the path that's around the this property here, and many of you go out there and, and walk it and seek the Lord out there on many of you on a regular basis. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see you out there, by the way. And uh, anyway, uh, I was out walking the wall this morning, as I love to do on Sunday mornings in particular, to hear from the Lord. And I, I was walking along, and I need, to, I need to give you a backstory. For several years ago, I, I told this story, I think, just once, but Several years ago, I was seeking a word from the Lord. Now, I'm not one who generally seeks a word from the Lord. I try to remain open to when the Lord would want to say something to me, but I'm not one to typically just say, Lord, I need a word from you. But several years ago, I was in a time when I just really needed to hear from the Lord, and I was so praying a lot about it, and I was sitting in my office there, and I got a big window in my office, and there's a butterfly bush out planted outside my, my and some of you know where I'm going, because you remember the story, and and I, I was just seeking the Lord, and I was really just sitting there in a chair praying and looking out. And this monarch butterfly came flying in and landed on one of the, one of the blooms and was, you know, was taking nectar from the bloom. And, and, uh, and the Lord spoke very, very clearly to my heart in watching that. And he said, you know, monarch means king, of course. And he, says, he said, you are, a, you are a king, and you will eat from the nectar of my hand. That's right. He said, you are a king, and you will eat from the nectar of my hand. That was a very stunning word, and uh, I still don't know what you are a king meant. It's been several years. I'm certainly no king in the, in the conventional sense of the word, but you are a king, and, I, and you will eat from the nectar of my hand. I don't know if you've ever had a stunning experience with the Lord where the next day you went, was that real? Uh, is it just me, or just me and the Israelites, right? I, I don't know. You know, we're so hard on them, aren't we? And it's like, we pretty much do the same thing. So the next day, I was out walking the wall, and, and I, said, I said, Lord, was that real? And this monarch butterfly at that very second came and started flying circles around me. Now, I'm not a person who makes too much out of the nature stuff, but there's certainly, certainly God's creation, right? He can appoint a butterfly if he wants to. And so this little, little, little is going around me. Oh, okay, I understand, right? <laughs> so I finished walking the wall, encouraged. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you have two encounters with the Lord, and the next day you go, were those real? <laughs> it's probably just me, because I'm generally a skeptic with a lot of this stuff. And, and so... And so I was sitting there looking out and praying, Lord, I, I hear the word. I don't know what it means. I mean, I get the eating from the nectar of your hand because I just love encountering the Lord in an intimate way. 
Um, but I don't know what the king thing is at all. And so I was praying, Lord, was that real? And another butterfly at that instant came and landed on the bush. Which, which, but it wasn't a monarch. A monarch means king, right? And so I, I said, well, Lord, that's not a monarch. You know, <laughs> I know, I know, right? It's so wrong on so many levels. But hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And, and I said, it's not a monarch. And so I took a picture of it and I got on Google to find out what kind of... Google, by the way, for those of you my age, it's a whole thing you can look up stuff on, okay? <laughs> Just discovered it. And I, I Googled this particular butterfly, and the name of it is a tawny emperor. Right? You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to make the emperor connection there, right? Right, tawny emperor. And so, principally, there have been two butterflies on that bush, monarchs or tawny emperors. They've been in my house. They've been so for I, I maybe five. I'm, I'm a terrible journaler, so I don't actually remember how many years ago this happened. But so all that. So this morning I'm out walking the wall. This is probably too personal to share, but sometimes when I'm out there, many times when I'm out there, and I'm so connected with the Lord out there, I'll ask how somebody's doing. It's quite often Karen's dad because he was such a huge impact. I'll just say, how's Mel doing? How's Carl doing? How's John doing? How's Jeannie doing? How's these people that we love so much that either family or church family have since gone on to be with the Lord. They just come to my mind. And I just, I just quietly say, how are they doing? And it's, it's a ridiculous question because, of course, they're doing fantastic, right? They're in heaven. And this morning I was just walking along, living in this place between grief and celebration, and walking along, and I said, I said, how's Charlie doing? My pastor. How's Charlie doing? And I got this picture, of course, it might have been my imagination, but I got this picture of him before the Lord, you know, and of course he's doing great. But at that very moment, a tawny emperor started circling me as I'm walking along. And it landed on one of those spruce trees out there and I just watched it for a while. I just thank the Lord for that confirmation and I thank the Lord and, and it just brought so much joy to my heart but it's not over yet. I started to continue to walk. I took about five steps and a monarch butterfly flew right across in front of me and landed on one of those trees, a monarch. <laughs> I just started laughing, I just started laughing It's true. It's all true. Beloved, it's all true. It's true. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go there to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Be encouraged today, church, because it's true. It's all true. Be encouraged today. I felt like a king yesterday, I got to tell you. I went with, I don't know, a dozen or 15 or 20. I don't know how many people, how many of us went out to, out to Zanesville to do an outreach and give away school supplies to 100, more than 100 kids came. We gave away everything we had, and, and I was a king. I was the king of the hot dog grill, and I was just so blessed to be 
working there with Barb and Samuel, and they were, we were the hot dog team, and I was cooking, and they were serving, and just seeing everybody, Mary, and seeing Peggy, and seeing Kathy and Don, and seeing so many others, seeing Joe, and just seeing so many others that are all working here. And then working down these long row of tents where all the school supplies are, are, are organized and given out, and so many wonderful, oh, the friends of Jesus came. And you could just see that these were, these were families who did not have the means to do what was easy for us to do. Beloved, I cannot thank you enough for being such a generous church. I cannot thank you enough for when we say, hey, we're giving away school supplies, <laughs> we're overrun with your generosity. Because you had a part in it. Whether you went with us or not, you had a part in it. You were there. And I just felt like a king. I was there just making hot dogs and kind of messing around with people a little bit as, a, as they went through the line. And I saw Elder Don out there. He abandoned his snow cone post so he could do this very crazy thing where he could go and pray for people. I know, right? Guy's out of control. And I saw him, and I saw my son Brad praying for people. I saw Pastor Wade, the pastor of the Zanesville, Miskingham Valley Vineyard, praying for people. And I, it was just remarkable... And I felt like a king. And I thought, this is what you're talking about, isn't it, Lord? I'm not in charge. I'm not ruling anybody, but I'm the recipient of this kind of a royal blessing. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. And it showed, me, it showed me what I've been believing through this pandemic all along, that the church of Jesus Christ is not crippled. The church of Jesus Christ has not been stopped. There was one young man who gave his life to Jesus Christ yesterday as we were giving out school supplies. Gave his life to Christ. The church is not crippled. We're just challenged to come up with new creative ways to be the church in the world. I think one of the things that has really distracted many believers is this whole business about, you know, the way we're meeting and whether we're meeting and should we meet and all. It's been so distracting because we've, we have put way too much emphasis on the power of the gathered church. Now, there's power when the church comes together. Don't get me wrong. There's power, and it's a necessary part of the life of a fellowship. But let's not forget the power of the scattered church. Let's not forget that Holy Spirit pours himself out on us in such a way. Why? So we can have a party every week? No, so we can be filled and we can go out and empty him out onto the world, right? Let's not give up on the power of the scattered church. You're scattered out there for a reason. The church is not crippled. One of the early messages you may or may not remember that I brought in the parking lot was that there's always a future with God. And I went to a passage in Isaiah where God is doing new things, right? Well, today I want to think about that future. I want to invite you to think about that future. And for our purposes, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 together. Genesis, it's the first book for those of you who are new. Chapter 15. And it starts with two words that we have to pause for after this. Oh, great. What do we have to do? What question do we have to ask? 
After what, right? Those words are not accidental, nor are they incidental after this. So it says, pay attention to what just happened. Well, Abram, his name was Abram at first and was changed to Abraham in Genesis 17, I think, verse 5 in the Circumcision Act. And, but Abram had just gone to battle with Kedileomer and the kings that were aligned with him, and he had won the battle, and he had rescued his, his, his nephew Lot, and, and uh, Melchizedek the priest had come out and laid bread and wine before him. Where was he from? He was from Salem. You mean like Jerusalem? Yeah, so it's all there. Well, after this, no big deal, right? <laughs> after this, it's so important that you understand that this didn't just happen, but it was built up to... After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? He says, Lord, you had promised me children and we have no children. I'm getting really old. And now some, some slave person is in line to receive my inheritance, some servant, and uh, Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household would be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Wow. And he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens. I love this picture. He took him outside of his tent, look up at the heavens, and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. <laughs> How do you even start on that? You start, no, did I count? Uh, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he made, them, he made him this incredible, incredible promise. Four questions. The first question is, what's really going on here in this passage? Well, if you read on, you can see that a covenant is literally being cut between Abraham and God. As you keep reading on, you'll see the terms of the covenant, you'll see the nature of the sacrifice, and you'll see how God established a covenant between himself and Abraham, which takes a couple of chapters to complete because the extension of this covenant was the covenant of circumcision. It's really all the same covenant, if you look in, in Genesis chapter 17. Now, we've visited this term covenant before, and what does it mean? It's a covenant what does it really mean? A covenant, I like to say it this way, a covenant is a relationship built on an inviolable promise. A covenant is a relationship built on an inviolable promise. You can't break that. So ideally, of course, a Christian marriage is meant to be a covenant between two believers who come together and under the power of the Holy Spirit, they they, they develop a relationship built on an inviolable promise. And so that's a, that's a sort of a covenant. That is a covenant. That's an example of a covenant. Well, God made a number of covenants through pe with people throughout the Scriptures. I think you see different commentaries would provide different numbers of them. I think for our purposes, there are probably five. There's the Noahic covenant that he made with, with Noah after the flood. And he, he, he symbolized it with what? A rainbow. So I'll never destroy it. So there was a promise made, a relationship built on an inviolable promise. The second one is this one, the Abrahamic covenant. The third one is the Mosaic covenant with Moses when 
God made a covenant with Moses, and from that came the law. The fourth one is probably the Davidic covenant, that God had a covenant with David. And then the fifth one is Jesus. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new, the new covenant. And so a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship established, built on an inviolable promise that God made to you, brother. Yeah. And you got it. God made you a promise, and you said, I'm in, right? You're in. You have covenant with God. And he will keep that promise. He will keep that promise. And the new covenant really serves as a fulfillment of all of the previous covenants. So a covenant was being made between Abraham and God here. And this was really an epical moment in the history of humanity because not only, not only was Abram's life changed forever, but Israel's life came from this and effectively, our, our eternal life came from this covenant. And for those who will come after us, their eternal life came from this covenant. So this is really, really a big thing. Second question is, well, where is this happening? And I think the relevance for us, really, in so many ways is, is found in the answer to this question. Where is this happening and why is that relevant? Well, where it's happening is, is pretty much unspecified, but it's somewhere between Haran and Canaan. Does that help? Abram started in Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. Abram began in Ur, which is Iraq, present-day Iraq. He migrated to Haran, which is Turkey, with his father. And then he headed to Canaan at the Lord's command here. He left and he went after it. Now Canaan is, is primarily Israel and Jordan, but includes some of uh, Syria and uh, includes some of Lebanon. And um, it was about a 600-mile journey from Haran to, to this Canaan land sort of thing. Uh, it was about a 600-mile journey, but he kind of took the scenic route and went by way of Egypt because of a famine. So we're not exactly sure where he was in the process, probably, probably near Sodom and Gomorrah area, the Lisan Peninsula. But some, here, here's the point, and why I think it's important, is it because he was somewhere between the start and the finish. He was somewhere between answering God's call and getting there. And it's the between thing I want you to focus on. He was somewhere between the beginning and the end. Partway. Not there yet. He wasn't there yet. He was in process. And so in this covenant moment where God says, step out of your tent and look up into the, tell me what you see. Go ahead, start counting. God is saying, before I entrust you with the future, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to invite you in the context of this relational covenant we have to look up into the sky and let me inspire you for faith and to believe for this future. So he was somewhere between here and there. So where are we, I think, is the third question. I think that is a very interesting question. When we look around as a church in these weird islands with these crazy face coverings and, oh, resisting the urge to love each other the way we want, oh, yikes, don't. We're going to have to build like a fence up here or something because I just can't hardly keep my hands off you. It's getting worse, too. And so uh, where are we in the midst of all of this? What's really happening? Well, we're partway between here and there. 
We're partway between the start and the finish. Beloved, this is not the finish. This isn't forever. Beloved, this is not the finished product. God's doing something, and we are partway between where we started and where, we, where he's taking us. And we're in a truly defining moment. I think capital C Church in the world is in a truly defining moment. What is really important to us as a church? And as a small C Church, as a local fellowship, what is really important to us? What had we added along the way that really didn't matter? And how could we move that out of the way to make more room for the stuff that really does matter? Amen? Amen. Those are the people I'm looking for today, are the people who can look ahead. You know, as we just consider our worship gathering style here, there's so much controversy, isn't there, among churches about what you should do and how you should do it. And, and I think the big problem with, with the controversy is that some are trying to reduce this question to two poles. They're trying to make it a matter of one or the other. So the faith over fear message is like, well, if you don't do what you did before, then you're acting in fear and not in faith. You're not trusting God, right? And so don't you kind of get sucked into that going, oh, am I, am I operating in faith? Am I, am I? But you see, it's not faith or fear. If anything, it's faith and wisdom, right? I trust God, and I'm not afraid of this thing. What's the best thing that could happen to me today? You know the answer to this. I can die and go to heaven, right? I'd rather not choke to death on a coronavirus if it's okay with everybody, but I'm not afraid of it. We have faith. We're gathered together in faith, and we're trusting God, but we have wisdom, wisdom. And I don't, feel like my, I don't feel like my rights are being infringed upon any more than the fact that the state requires me to wear a seatbelt. Do, do you trust God as you drive, yes or no? Then why do you wear a seatbelt? 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 Because it's a wise thing to do. Because you're being forced by the government? No, because it makes sense to thinking people, Right? Because we'd rather not be ejected from the car in the unfortunate case of an accident, right? I mean, come on, that's not fear. I don't get in my car going, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a faith or a fear question. It's a faith and a wisdom question. If we were afraid, we wouldn't be in here. It's a faith and wisdom. The other argument it's trying to be reduced to is that question of obeying God or obeying men. John MacArthur, the really intelligent, fantastic contributor to Bible exposition in California, you may know, has taken a stand against the state of California and is just, just letting his 8,000-member church meet without masks, without social, without any, and he says the state cannot infringe upon our rights. And uh, yeah, he's absolutely right if that were the only thing to consider. So is it a question of obeying God or obeying men? Those two, faith and fear, God or men, they're extraordinary simplifications of a complicated question. I know as senior pastor of this fellowship, I'm joined by the elders in feeling called to balance 
at least four dimensions as we make our decisions about how we move forward. And it's not two, it's at least four, probably more. First, there's the biblical mandate to have public worship. The book of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. The Bible calls us, come together, worship God, worship God, public forum of worship. That's the Bible calling us to do that, correct? Of course. And so as elders, of course, we consider clearly that, that call. And then we're also, also considering the biblical command to obey our government leaders. I mean, it's not just a matter of that. We're, and we're not making this up as we go along. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, and you'll see it as plain as day. It says, everyone must submit himself to the government governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, if at the point the government is trying to, trying to infringe on our worship expression or our beliefs, then civil disobedience kicks in for sure. But they're not. Governor DeWine has never once said that churches cannot meet. Not once. So we live in this we live in this tension as elders. We're like, okay, we've got God's call to meet. We've got God's call to obey government. And there's also the call of God to always show compassion to the world. I mean, how many times have we visited John 13 where Jesus said, by this shall all men know my, you're my disciples. You know it by heart. If you have what? Love one for another. And so, you know, if you look in Colossians, for example, you look at Colossians uh, chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, by Christ are you chosen? Okay, so this is to you, holy and dearly loved. Has Christ made you holy? Are you dearly loved by God? Well, this is all about you. Clothe yourselves. Here's your clothing. Here's the clothes of someone who is in Christ. Clothe yourselves with, the first is compassion. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the clothes we're meant to wear. Our compassion clothes. I don't wear this in fear that I'm going to get something. I, I wear this out of compassion for not wanting to give anybody something. This is a strange thing, this whole asymptomatic thing. And I know you can read this science and you can read that science. We're reading this science. as an act of compassion. So it's not just a question of two things. And then fourth, we're, we're looking at obeying the Bible's consistent exhortations that the church should always be a positive witness to the world. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Colossians, just read one over one. I could show you many places, but Colossians chapter 4, verse, verses 5 and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Beloved, this is an opportunity for us to show compassion to the world. And if the message is this is a symbol of compassion, man, give me another one, right? 
I hate them too, but I love being compassionate. Don't you? Come on, church. <laughs> if you read the next verse, it says, let your conversation be always full of grace. This is how we're supposed to be talking about it. You see Christians just arguing and all this vitriol, and it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Just take a big grace breath right now. Keep your mask up when you exhale. <laughs> you know what I find really cool in the midst of all of this, in addition to the church just trying to be intelligent about its witness to the world that's watching, what I find so cool is that the medium-sized church is the most strategic-sized church during this time. Here we are. We're, we're not a big church. We're certainly not a mega church, but we're not a small church. We're a medium-sized church. And if you look around at the medium-sized churches around us, we are the ones who are strategically positioned to do this. I do feel for Andy Stanley, and, and you know, they have 38,000 members. I do feel, you know, they don't have the same options that we have, right? A lot of churches don't even have, they can't even move their chairs, right? The large church doesn't have the option to have parking lot services the way we enjoyed them and people got saved. And I learned Wednesday night that another young couple said in our home group, they said, we really encountered the Holy Spirit in the parking lot. You know, big, big churches don't have that opportunity. And a, lot, and a lot of small churches don't have They don't have the resources to do what we're doing. They don't have the resources to take a $40,000 single-day offering that we've been using to bless people who are in need during the pandemic. Do you see what we have here? <laughs> we're a medium-sized church. Yay! We're not an aircraft carrier. We're not a PT boat. We're a destroyer. We're a cruiser. Come on. I love this. I don't love the pandemic, but I love what God's doing in it. And where are we today? Well, we're partway between the start and the finish. So what do we have to do? We have to look ahead. What do you see? I mean, if God drew you out of your tent and said to you, what do you see? What would you say? Do you see anything? Do you, can you give yourself to that process? Because we've already mourned what we lost, right? We did that. Now we thank God for what we have. That was a great service last week. Really loved it, how people weighed in from outside the building. That's so cool. Love, thank God for what we have. Now what do you see? What do you see? You see, I think it's going to be a collective. It's not going to be just about what I see. I realize that has kind of influence around here, but I want to know what you see. I want to know what you see as you look toward the future and you see in the midst of all this, the thing I, I hope for, the thing I cherish, the thing I, I can pray for, the thing I can strain toward, forgetting what is behind and strain toward, this is, I believe God will inspire your heart for some dimension of the church that, that could become a reality. What do you see? And I see some believers just wasting so much time become, becoming so vocal about what we seem to have lost and saying, I want that back. I don't want that back. I loved it, but it's done. Ouch. But God would never take something away from us except to make room for something better. But it was so good. 
In the words of Denny Tatman, it's going to be gooder. <laughs> Can you look toward the gooder? Sorry, Denny, I don't know if you see any of this stuff. But. Would you just give your heart to the Lord for a little time here and say, Lord, would you draw me outside my tent and show me something? I'm particularly calling out you younger adults here. Everyone, we all need to look ahead, but I'm particularly calling out those of you who are younger adults. We're about to give you the church. Those of us whom God entrusted with the church, in some short space of time, it's going to be in your hands. Would you ask God to show you something? There were things about old church you loved and things about old church you tolerated. Would you ask God to filter that out and just show you something in the future? Would you hope for that? Would you pray for that? Would you lean toward that? Would you sign up for that? Would you surrender to that? Because I believe like never before, God is going to use the whole body. The Bible says in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I believe he's going to use the whole body to show things to, and it'll be a collective, not a democracy. That's not the same. That's a whole other argument. But, but it'll be a collective. It won't rest on the back of one tall, bald guy or some batch of elders or... They'll continue to hold their place of leadership as God has ordained it, but I believe like never before, the church needs to rise up and say, this is what I cherish, this is what I hope for, this is what I long for, this is what I'm praying for. And to look ahead, not don't look back. Paul says, this one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Could you just lean into that? And when you do that, could you just walk in his love? Could you just lean into his love? That's the, that's the thing that will always, always be, will be his love for us. The three things that always remain, the Bible says, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Could you just fall into the, into the love of God this morning and just and appreciate that, enjoy that, experience that, encounter that, worship God in the midst of his never-ending love and say, show me, God. Show me something. Show me something this week. Show me something this month. Show me, capture me with something. Make my life about that thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We invite you to come now and pour yourself out on us and refreshing, forward-thinking ways, Lord. We do thank you for what you have given us in this assembly, in this fellowship, and so many unique features of this fellowship that we just love and cherish, and, and I believe you're just going to build on, Lord, but we're ready to move forward now. We're ready to look ahead. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord, church. Altars in front of all of your islands, remember? You can just worship the Lord there. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can do whatever's comfortable for you. Just worship the Lord. I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm going to go and pray and rest and 
play with my grandkids. Bury my pastor. Appreciate your prayers very much over these next four weeks. You'll be in the very capable hands of Pastor Christian and the elders, of course. Appreciate your prayers during this time. I just really want to hear from the Lord about what's next. You know? I mean, short view, what's next? And I think he's going to speak. Appreciate your prayers and very much appreciate you being a part of that process and asking God the same question. So I'll be out of touch for a while. Hey, Jim, the answer is yes, but we'll start when I get back. <laughs> I realized I had one unsettled account there. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to read Psalm 91 over you as you leave and ask God's blessing. You know, perhaps you know that we have had two positive cases of COVID uh, in our fellowship, both of whom, one of whom has completely recovered, one who is recovering. And so we thank God for that. And yeah. And so that doesn't, that doesn't shake my faith at all in reading Psalm 91 over you, you know, and asking God to just fulfill that blessing. So I'm going to read that to you. I'll dismiss you. You can make your way out. Sorry, we still can't congregate in the building. Again, what you do in the parking lot is your own business. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll miss you guys. I'll see you when I get back. God bless you. You're dismissed. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.